What do you think of when you think of the Old Testament prophets? Do they mostly talk about prophecies of Jesus coming? Or are they mostly a group of angry old guys railing against evil and coming final judgment? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran from Bible 805, where you learn to know, trust, and apply the Bible. As you'll see, the prophets are so much more, and they have lots of challenges that apply to us today that you'll learn about in our lesson, The Prophetic Books, Little Understood, but Incredibly Important. Now, if people don't stop reading through the Bible when they get to Leviticus, they often bail out when they get to the prophets. They come across as a group of angry men making threats that don't always make sense. But in our lesson today, I want to change all that and introduce you to one of the most fascinating sections of the Bible and one that has surprising relevance for us today. Now, I want us to look at, first of all, where we are in going through the Bible chronologically. Then we'll talk about what these books are really about and how we'll spend the next few months, actually, studying them. Now, a little bit of a review on where we are. Solomon's reign ended in sin and judgment. The kingdom splits in half. The southern kingdom is called Judah, and it's left to the descendants of David. Some of the kings are good, some of them bad in God's eyes. The northern kingdom, called Israel, and it has a variety of kings. Some of the families lasted a few generations, some only a few days, but they were all ultimately bad and turned the people away from God. It is in this setting that the group of books that we call the prophets are written. Now, the content of the prophets' messages. When people think about the prophets in the Old Testament, they usually think about them in a couple of ways. And the first one is they often think about how they prophesied the birth of Jesus. And then that results in a list, and there's all kinds of these on the web, and you, you can find them anywhere. They've been around for years, and they're really important. But a list of prophecies fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. As I said, these can be helpful, they can be encouraging, they're really important in our faith, but what a lot of people don't realize is less than 2% of the Old Testament prophecies were these messianic promises. Or, if they don't think about that, they tend, and this tends to be people's idea when you talk about Old Testament prophets, they think about them as talking about the end times, about fire and brimstone prophecies, end time events, that people try to correlate with contemporary events. But, actually, again, less than 1% of the prophecies in the Old Testament concern events yet to come in a future time. The majority of the content of the prophets concerns what will happen in the near future of the audience that they were writing to. They were addressing a contemporary audience reminding them of God's expectations. This is so incredibly important for you to understand this as you read these books. And I will go through, I'll show it to you. Secular history verifies this, but that's really important for you to understand. A useful verse to really keep in mind as we study them. And perhaps if you hear end time messages related to them that pull things out of context and try to make things match up and all that sort of thing. Isaiah 
had wonderful advice where he says, do not call conspiracy everything these people call a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. You see, only God, our Lord Almighty, is the one to be feared. And with Him, we are totally and forever secure. So, if the prophets aren't primarily writing about prophecies about Jesus or end times warnings, what are they about? Well, first, let's define exactly what a prophet is. What is a prophet? What does it mean to prophesy? The basic definition of a prophet is one who speaks for God. To prophesy then means to share that message either in written or spoken form. The prophecy is the resulting message. Now, though we often equate prophecy with talking about future events, again, that's only part of the meaning, even though it was near future ones. More than that, their message consisted of explaining God's laws and reminding people of their responsibility to obey them, rebuking and calling people back to God in their setting. One person uh, summed it up in this way, and I think this is really good. They define prophecy by saying it is more forth-telling, the meaning of God's words, what he wants us to do, rather than foretelling the future. The task of the prophet, according to Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart in their absolutely wonderful book that I've recommended many times and, and really can't recommend it enough, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, this is how they describe the task of the prophet. They say the prophets were covenant enforcement mediators. They go on to say Israel's law constituted a covenant between God and his people. We see this in Leviticus. We see it in Deuteronomy. We talked about that when we studied those books. They go on to say the law contained not only regulations and statutes for the people to keep, but the sorts of punishment or curses that God will necessarily mete out if they do not. God does not merely give Israel his law, but he enforces it. This is the message of the prophets. Now, a contemporary application, and this is so important. God expects a certain behavior from his people. There are consequences to disobedience, and these are not only for rewards or punishments after we die. In some circles, there's a belief today that because Jesus died for our sins, past, present, and future, which he did, that we can live now however we want to live, that we can do whatever we want to do. That is a huge error. The children of Israel thought the same thing, that just because they were God's redeemed people, they were redeemed from Egypt, just because they gave him token worship, they could live however they wanted to live. These books show how wrong that idea is and how God would punish them for their disobedience. We can learn from them because God's expectations of his chosen people do not change. We are now his chosen representatives. Second Peter 2 9 says, You've been chosen by God himself. You are priests of the king. You are holy and pure. You are God's very own. All this so you may show to others how God called you out of darkness into his wonderful light.
Once you were less than nothing, now you are God's own. Once you knew very little of God's kindness, now your very lives have been changed by it. Dear brothers, your only visitors here, since your real home is in heaven, I beg you to keep away from the evil pleasures of this world. They're not for you, for they fight against your very souls. Astounding as that is, and yes, it means us, we are the representatives of our Lord. And the application to us is to pay attention as we begin this study, because as a message translation of 1 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12 tells us, and it's really blunt in its application to us of the lessons of the Old Testament, this is what it says. These are all warning markers. Danger! In our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. And parentheses for me, this is so true in the prophets. And the passage, though, goes on and says, Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. So don't be naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Now, here's how these books can help us please God. God doesn't change. He expects a holy, set-apart behavior from the people called to represent Him on earth. If His people do not act the way they're supposed to act, there will be discipline. Hebrews 12 tells us that God will discipline us if we disobey, like a father who loves his children and wants them to grow up properly. But, and this is really important, what we also see from book after book is the incredible love and patience of God. Though we see God's people do horrible things in these books, rejecting Him again and again to the point, and it it pains me to even say this, where they were actually burning their children alive as an offering to pagan gods. They did that. But God never stopped loving his people, sending prophets to them, delaying judgment, caring for people, even during after their judgment and captivity, and ultimately keeping them intact as a people to be the nation through whom the Messiah would come. With all these good reasons to study the prophets, we have a major challenge, though, in how we study them, because they aren't in any kind of historical order or context. So it's it's just really hard. You can't see what was going on in people's lives in their history that prompted the prophet's message or what God did about it when they didn't obey and they never did obey. Now here's how we usually divide the prophets in our Bibles. We have what are called the five major prophets. Two of them were written by Jeremiah and they're called the major prophets because of their length, not because of their importance, but these are typically uh, designated Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Lamentations. Now they come they tend to come first and then we have the 12 
quote-unquote minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and they're all completely out of order. As you'll see, when we read them, uh, Jonah actually comes first, then Amos, then Hosea, and I won't go into all the order now, but this order is totally confusing, and they just don't really make sense, because instead of being part of the historical books which come in the early part of our Bible and all of the history for these is in 1st and 2nd Kings these are behind the poetic books and it just it doesn't make any sense at all so here's our plan I'm going to help you read them in a way that makes sense. One of the most important things about reading the prophets is to put them into the historical context when their messages were given because, again, to repeat myself, they make no sense whatsoever if you don't do that. We're going to be doing that with the reading schedule that I've given you and the chart that I have for you and the way I'm going to go through the lessons. You've got to do it this way if you want to understand the meaning of any historical or biblical person. You've got to put them in their proper setting. Just as one example, let me briefly go into it. It's this how we look at the story of Jonah. Now, Jonah, a lot of people know about him, that he was in the belly of a great fish for three days. But And most of the debates and, and things people talk about, that's all they talk about. Now, we're going to do a lesson on Jonah. Actually, it's the next one after this. And I'll be talking about the major reason, the most important reason, that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the story of him being swallowed by a great fish is true. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you about that right now. You've got to listen to that lesson. But for now, what I want you to see is a preview of all of the prophets, how much more we understand about them when we know their history. Now, the thing is with Jonah, it started out, he started out as a prophet, a very popular, successful one in Israel. And this is the setting in 2 Kings 4.23. It says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, king of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, in other words, in Israel, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he caused Israel to commit. And then it goes on to say, this king was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance, now this, listen carefully, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Heper. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering, and there was no one to help them. And since the Lord had said he would not blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. Did you see what it said there? Um, it's very similar to in the book of Judges. God takes pity on his people. He sends a prophet to preach deliverance. And that prophet was none other than Jonah. Now, Jonah, from that, we can kind of assume he was probably a big hero at home. He was recognized as the one who prophesied a great victory for his homeland. And at the same time that he preached that victory, Assyria 
whose capital was Nineveh, was becoming a great power on the world stage. Now, not only were they a great power, but they were a very vicious and horrible and cruel one. They were known for doing dreadful things to their enemies, for impaling them on stakes and skinning them alive and piling up uh, skulls and just doing horrible, horrible things. Now, Jonah may have imagined that after God had used him to prophesy a great victory for his nation in this one instance, because Assyria was obviously eyeing Israel and thinking about conquering them, that he'd be able to do that for his major enemy. I imagine he just loved to prophesy Assyria's defeat. But what does God do? Instead, he tells Jonah to go and preach a message of salvation to them. And we know what happens. Jonah runs the other way. Now, again, we'll go into that story in the lesson on Jonah. But the point for now is that the historical context helps you understand why Jonah ran the other way. And it also explains his bad attitude even after the success of his preaching. To properly understand all the prophets, we need a similar approach, and we need to understand their historical context. Now, here's our plan for how we're going to do this. This lesson is an introduction to the prophets. We've talked about what they are, what they do, and how we can learn from them. Now, we're going to proceed to study them. Now, you're going to do this in several ways. I've given you a reading schedule going through the Bible in chronological order. Here's how we're going to do that. You have a reading schedule and I have a new chart that I'm going to be, that I am posting for you. It'll I'll have it posted before I um, release this podcast. Now both the reading schedule where you can read through these different books in chronological order and this chart that I'm going to give you can be downloaded from Bible 805. They will both give you the proper historical setting and the order of the prophets as they both combine the history and the prophets in their pop in their proper places. Now this chart that I did of the prophets Old Testament timeline, I'm really happy with how it turned out. It's kind of interesting, even in a, a rougher form that I had, it was actually the most popular article on my entire Bible 805 website and people downloaded it every day. A bunch of people were downloading it. And I went back though in preparing this lesson and really fine tuned it. I'm extremely happy with it now because some of the dates, I, I sort of uh, tweaked them just a little bit. I made it clearer on the layout. I actually also inserted the um, the historical sections that go with the different books. And I'm going to be explaining this more as we go through it. Now, one caution, though, that you need to be aware of is the lessons on the podcast and the videos are going to be a little bit different than um, how we've gone through the lessons so far on the reading schedule. And the reason is some of the prophets are very short. And so in your reading, you're actually reading in some of them, maybe two and three books in one week's time. And then you go for about a month or so reading something like Isaiah and Jeremiah. But what I'm going to be doing is I will go through them in order 
going through the actual order that the prophets preached and the history that went through it, but it won't tie in exactly with your reading schedule. I hope that that makes sense, but I think it will give you a much better um, understanding of the prophets and the progression that they went through. And I think it'll be really exciting. Um, I, I've said that it, it can be a life-changing experience. And if you've never had the prophets put in their proper order and explained how they fit into the history and something, I think you'll find it to be one of the most challenging and life-changing things that you've really read in your Bible. Now, back to the preliminary information. A little bit more background on the prophets. First of all their audience. Though they were primarily to Israel and Judah, they often, the prophets often also spoke to the surrounding nations. They would say now five uh, warnings and four to Edom or to um, Philista or, you know, just these different things to Egypt, whatever. They would talk to some of the surrounding nations and Sometimes they would speak to them just specifically for their own sake, like the prophet Jonah did to Nineveh, but also they would oftentimes refer to how they treated Israel. In Obadiah, we see that, and um, it, where the prophet's specifically talking to Edom and judgment on them. And then finally, in the prophet Nahum, on how Nineveh treated Israel. So they God speaks to these different nations. Now the application of this is that everyone is accountable to God. All of the nations surrounding them knew who Jehovah God was. They knew what he'd done for Israel. They knew what was right. They knew what was wrong. All people have a conscience. And so we see in these prophets, not only them speaking to Israel, they had specific messages to them, but to the surrounding nations. Now then, on the authority of the prophet. They continuously emphasized that their message was not their own. They spoke the words of God. Often they repeated the phrase, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. It, it, it's you know, as if they were saying, you know, this doesn't come from me. It comes from God. The various prophets, too, they came from a variety of backgrounds, so it wasn't their background that gave them authority. They were Some were farmers, um, uh, one was royalty, just a whole group of different backgrounds. Some were priests, some were laymen. Many of them, we don't know anything about their background, but as is often the case, most of them were reluctant. They weren't terribly excited to do what God called them to do. Uh, many of them hesitated, but like Jeremiah, they were all in um, one way or another. Some of them expressed it, some of it didn't, where God's message burned within them and they were compelled to speak. Now, the attitude of the prophets and it shows us the attitude of God. And by the way, you will only see this correctly when you read them completely and don't just pull out random passages because that will distort their meaning. Because the books of the prophets, you, they always have a message of hope. If people reconcile, if they repent, 
They, God always promises unconditional restoration after judgment. In these books, we really see the heart of God. We see God's patience. He repeats warnings for hundreds of years. And his love, it continues no matter how badly he's treated. We'll see this in Hosea, which is just a heartbreaking book on how God loves his people no matter how much they betray him and go against him. He desires restoration. Harsh judgment is never his first choice. He doesn't send his prophets to beat up on people, but to restore them, to set things right so he can love them and bless them. Now, the prophetic experience of time is also really important because this can get very confusing. It can be difficult to understand because the prophetic books frequently deal with two timelines. Gordon and Fee acknowledge that it can be challenging, and they put it this way, quote, It should be noted, of course, that some of the prophecies of the near future were set against the background of the great end times future, and sometimes they seem to kind of blend. It's like looking at two discs. Now picture this. There's an illustration of it on the video, but picture it if you're listening to the podcast with a smaller one in front of a larger one, and you're looking at them straight on. Then if you turn it from the perspective of subsequent history and you look at them with a side view, you can see how much distance is between them. That's a really good illustration, but another one that I've heard, and I think this might be easier for you to picture, is you look at the whole prophetic view of world history. On the one hand, you see a set of mountain ranges. And if you look at it straight on, they look like they're very close together. But if you shift your perspective and you go to look at the same mountain ranges from an aerial view, you can see that there are really large valleys between them. And since God sees all of time and the prophets speak for God, it can sometimes get a bit confusing to know what exactly happens when. And that, of course, is the big question. This is what people guess about a lot and make all kinds of predictions. And a lot of times there's not really a whole lot of reasons for them. An example of both timelines that you see operating together is in the story of the Valley of Dry Bones that Ezekiel sees knitting together and coming to life in Ezekiel 37. Now this particular prophecy, the near fulfillment of it, was when Israel did come back together and return to the land after being exiled. This happened in Ezra 1 and 2 in the near history of the children of Israel. But commentators also agree that at the end of time, it refers to the eternal resurrection of all people. You see this incredible expansive view of time, of here and now, the future and forever, especially in the book of Isaiah. Now, this whole thing on God's view of time and the dating of the prophetic writings is especially important to consider when you look at how the writing of them is dated because some contemporary commentators cast doubt without any cause 
on the dating of the prophet's writing, their only reason for dating things differently than what the Bible teaches, what conservative commentators have always agreed on, is they have what's called an anti-supernatural bias. They don't want to believe that God could have actually prophesied things happening hundreds of years in the future. So they say, well, the prophets had to be written after this certain time. Now, internal biblical evidence, archaeology, and source criticism all show the validity of traditional dating, and I will get into that more as we go through the different books, particularly when we study Isaiah, because that has some of the biggest controversies in it. But um, the chart that I'm giving you on the prophet's timeline, this has the most accurate dates available in conservative biblical criticism. That, uh, that's what I have for you on this chart. And that's what I will be teaching from. Now, they might vary a little bit within a, a year or so because we don't know maybe the exact year of some of these things, but the order, the overall timeline is correct. And let me assure you, I consulted source after source after source after source, and on many of them, there's not precise, precise agreement, but it will vary at most with, within just a few years' time. And that's what I've given you on the chart. The correct dates are very important, you know, within a few years' time span, because they show how God, who is the author outside of time, and I have this other chart for you on God's view of time, where he sees all of the past, present, and future. And again, these charts are available for you on download. I also have videos of them. Um, and this particular chart of God's view of time, if you haven't downloaded it already, it will really help you because it illustrates it's so clear how God simultaneously sees everything, but we as humans are just at one little point in that timeline. But because God sees everything, he can let people know what happens. For example, one of the really incredible prophecies, which I will talk about again in much more detail later, is that God is able to give specific names and details of what will happen hundreds of years in advance. For example, Cyrus, who would later issue the decree for the people to return to the land of Israel after their captivity, Isaiah the prophet in chapters 44 and 45 gives his name a hundred years before his actions. And this is actually even before Israel went into captivity. He tells about the king who will issue a decree that will allow them to return to the land. Now, if we believe in a God who is eternal, who sees past, present, and future, it's obvious he should be able to do that. And this is not the only example. There are many, many examples like this. And in studying the prophetic books, you will just become so much more excited about the power of your God. Now, a key lesson, though, of the prophets, and we don't want to get into fortune telling and all this kind of stuff, 
what's really important from them is the combination of what's called both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. This is the way Gordon and Fee put it. Orthodoxy is correct belief. Orthopraxy is correct living. Through the prophets, God called the people of ancient Israel and Judah to a balance of right belief and right living. This, of course, remains the very balance that the new covenant requires as well. And in Ephesians 2 and in the book of James, we're reminded of this. What God wanted from Israel and Judah is a general sense the same as what he wants from us. The prophetic books can serve constantly as reminders to us of God's determination to enforce his covenant. For those who obey the stipulations of the new covenant, loving God and loving one's neighbor, the final, eternal result will be blessing, no matter what the troubles of this world. For those who disobey, who don't trust him, the only result is an eternal curse, removal not just from the land, but from the presence of God. Some concluding comments. My prayer is that as we start on this adventure of going through the prophets in their historical settings, that we will have an experience like the prophet Isaiah, who when he saw God's majesty and was cleansed from his sins, responded to the needs of his world. We may never speak, and we probably won't with his power, but our world still needs people to live for and serve our God. To do that, may we, as he did, respond to God's calling by saying, Here am I, send me. That's all for now. Please check out the additional resources at www.bible805.com and tell your friends about what's available there. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Prynne your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.